Hi, everyone. My name is Devin Keeler, licensed certified athletic trainer in uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a little bit of private practice uh, in athletic training and where it's kind of developing. Today, I'm joined here with Sadie Moray, and uh, she's a proud owner and operator of Valker Clinic. Um, so, Sadie, go ahead and talk to us a little bit about your practice. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. I think it's really awesome that you started this podcast to mm -hmm. kind of uh, get the name of athletic training out there a little bit. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you having me this morning. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time. And, and for me, again, it's just, I think everybody deserves a voice and hopefully this is a small way for everybody to kind of get out there if they aren't there out there yet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so what, what did you want me to talk about? What yeah. I do? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's the, what's the, what's the whole basis of your clinic? Like, why did you want to get into private practice and athletic training? What was maybe like the backstory of your name? Because uh, I know we've talked a little bit like uh, in some of our coursework and everything. I so said, I just, this is also kind of a venture for me to hear more about you, like, and why this was important to you. Yeah. Um, so really, uh, my, my backstory in athletic training, um, it's a profession I am so passionate about and I love so much. And it's also been what I like to call um, a really rough marriage. <laughs> it definitely um, is. There's been a lot of moments of, <laughs> it is though, you know, yeah. um, there's been a lot of moments of kind of that love hate of going, I love this so much and I'm so passionate about it, but I'm not. I'm not feeling like I'm being utilized the way I want to. I'm not, um, I felt like my value as a professional in athletic training wasn't what I wanted. The, the vision of what I had as an athletic trainer after it came to reality was like, these are matching up. My blueprint of what I had in my mind of what athletic training was when I first started was not what it is in practice. Um, and I primarily was in the secondary school settings with clinical outreach. So I worked in a physical therapy clinic and then did secondary school outreach. Um, and as I'm sure most athletic trainers can relate, there's um, in the past, there's been a huge disconnect between um, how much you give and how much you receive. Mm -hmm. So it ends up being a profession that's known for burnout. Mm -hmm. um, I, am, I experienced that big time. Um, so I ended up actually leaving the secondary school setting and discontinuing practice in that way. And I took, it took a year, honestly, for me to go, I want to continue to pursue athletic training. It was, it was a hard year of really realizing what I wanted to give and what I wanted to receive and how those could be a little bit more balanced. Um, because you can, you can think that you're an amazing person and I can just give, 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 but you can't, you can't do that. So it's an, it's a fine tuned balance of figuring out how to care for yourself as a healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I'm super passionate about now. And I'm still learning. Don't get me wrong. I'm still figuring out my own ways to avoid that burnout. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I'm just doing things a little bit differently now. Mm -hmm. So um, a few years ago, I started a small business um, with a friend of mine, a fellow athletic trainer. Um, and we really saw a need in underserviced populations. Specifically, we started with youth athletics. Mm -hmm. um, we saw, we actually were working with a wrestling company um, and just seeing kind of the disorganization of the healthcare side of things at mm -hmm. these huge tournaments. Like there's thousands of, of participants mm -hmm. and there's not great organization. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. I mean, there are definitely, when you have these wrestling tournaments, I know we host a middle school one, we have like 27 teams 
Now, I mean, I've kind of this year, or I've had a little bit of fortunate luck. I had last year two amazing GAs that I really helped work that transition really well. It was my first time there, uh, and it was great to work with them on that. And then this year, I had another full-time ATC on staff, and then I had four students from uh, uh, a program come and volunteer. Yeah, right. So, like, I can't say I relate 100% to only being by myself, but I can see that daunting task of being alone and not knowing how do you take care of 27 teams of thousands right. of individuals by right. yourself. Or having a team of kind of a collaboration of all these <clears throat> you've never worked with. That's, that takes a unique um, healthcare mm-hmm. professional to be able to succeed in that scenario. So that's kind of where we started. Um, mm-hmm. And we saw kind of this need for the organization of large tournaments. And so we were like, well, let's start a business. So mm-hmm. we, um, we named our business Valkyr, V-A-L-K-Y-R. And where that kind of comes from is what most people know is the Nordic Valkyries were the winged goddesses who, um, in the Nordic theme, it's not as um, as elegant as we like to put it, but <laughs> they were basically the, the ones that would take the wounded soldiers to heaven after they um, were in battle. And yeah. so we thought that was kind of a fitting um concept of what mm-hmm. athletic trainers do for their patients so that's mm-hmm. where the name stemmed from there you um, go nice yeah and i, I like can thank i can thank my nerdy brother for that one <laughs> no I, I like that i mean that's a really unique name and how you guys came up with it and i think it kind of creates that that really highlights what we do i mean we really do pick up people at the darkest of times where that kind of comes from and then hopefully try to lift them into some of their most successful times in their life and uh, that's I I like I like the backstory behind that yeah yeah and it actually um if you look into the root of what the word actually means um it's actually the the chooser of and so what I've done over these last two years I I started and we started now now it's just me as an independent Mm -hmm. um but when it when our first uh, ideas of this really stem from was underserved populations and mm-hmm. where I'm shifting that to now is um, seeing that athletic training services are applicable for literally anybody that moves so there's no reason why the general population shouldn't have accessibility to somebody like an athletic trainer mm-hmm. um, for various reasons we shifted um, business and now I'm working um, specifically to offer um, I'm calling it care navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it's, it's interesting because we chose our name based on athletic trainers. Yeah. Picking kind of the wounded soldiers up in that way, but the root of the word is actually the chooser of, and mm-hmm. it's the direction. So yeah, it's kind of, it was kind of crazy. I literally, I realized that a week ago uh-huh. and that's, so my, it says like Valker and then how mm-hmm. to pronounce it, Valker. Yeah. And it says um, the chooser of directions and then it's innovative um, care and navigation. So it's really finding a way, an accessible way that you can say, hey, my ankles been bothering me for like a year. I have no idea what to do. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to go to the ER. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go to physical therapy yet Mm -hmm. because we don't know if that's appropriate for you. What do I do? Where do I go? Mm -hmm. What resources are there? And some people are appropriate for home program stuff. Some people are appropriate for referral, but I don't think a lot of people know that, especially mm-hmm. about musculoskeletal and moving-based injuries. I don't think um, 
we have a good WebMD in, in a sense of that for, mm -hmm. for patients. So that's really where I'm shifting my business. Um, and this is a reset shift. It's been in the last quarter because um, I was working with patients one-on-one -on -one in a clinic type setting. And I just realized it was one of those moments. I'm like, I don't want to work just one-on-one -on -one with people. I want something a little bit bigger, mm -hmm. a little bit meatier, um, and something a little bit more in leadership and administration. And I feel like this is a good path. Mm -hmm. So as far as private practice in athletic training and um, in healthcare, it's, it's hard. It's mm -hmm. really hard because we don't have a nice framework yet. So mm -hmm. I often feel like it's kind of reinventing a wheel. Um, so we're, I'm trying to avoid that and do something a little bit unique, but also mm -hmm. something that's um, falling into the, into the system that actually can be utilized well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I th and, I, and that's like the one thing I really find interesting about private practice. It's something I've daunted with a little bit, but um, I think with my experience, I've seen a lot of people struggle and I've seen a lot of people succeed. So there's mm -hmm. still a lot to learn. You bring up a good point that like, you're trying to reinvent the wheel, but I think in a way like you're still trying to find the wheel. Like what wheel do we, what wheel is going to be yes. the most successful? What, yes. what vehicle are we going to need to take this? Because I, th I find it very interesting how your path is really more, your private practice in athletic training is taking and empowering the patients and really listening to what the patient wants. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot, a lot of times, especially you go to the doctor or you go to PT or, I mean, athletic trainers, I think sometimes are even the, the worst of this, like, oh, well, all right, well, this is my patient and this is what my patient's going to do. My patient's going to show up for rehab and they're going to do my rehab program and they're going to tape the way I want them to be taped and they're going to go out there and they're going to be successful. And in a way, it's kind of humble. It's kind of, you really want to take ownership and pride into that. What happens like when you fail, you, you know what I mean? Like you, when you succeed, you really have these ultimate highs, but when you fail at this whole, like this is my thing and that extreme ownership of that end of things, like it's an ultimate failure. So you kind of have to find that balance. And I, I think for you taking that, that different direction to really empower the patient to understand like, Hey, these are your options that are out there. Like what options going to fit for you is really what healthcare is going to, because um, we've heard and we've talked about in previous things that like, Hey, patients want to be empowered. They want to have decisions. You know what I mean? And I think that's for you as an athletic trainer, you're taking that end of practicing within your scope and you're practicing at the ultimate high of that because not only are you a skill, are you taking yourself from being a skilled clinician, now you're taking yourself to that skilled administrator and combining them into that uh, very unique uh, aspect of what healthcare is going to be at the end of the day, especially like when we move into telecommunication and telemedicine. Oh my gosh. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be the new high of athletic of mm -hmm. medical the medical field and totally. athletic trainers I think could really take a big point of that because like even like this like when we have this conversation like somebody could potentially listen to this and hey Sadie you had a really great idea I'm gonna invest this into myself and I think where I kind of even want to take this next what we've heard some of the things of where you go but what have the struggles been kind of with this transition of going from that traditional outreach secondary athletic trainer to now you're an athletic trainer in private practice where you like we said we don't have that wheel what's the biggest struggle that you've kind of had to face in this time I think there's been a lot of struggles mm -hmm. um, and it's honestly it's probably hard to even say what the biggest one is because they're just different mm -hmm. but one of one of the biggest struggles is and I I literally battle this every day of having 
you have this brilliant idea, right? Oh, I have this brilliant idea. I'm going to start a small business. And then <laughs> you realize very quickly there's a lot that goes into it. And while you're trying to protect this egg of your idea that's so incredible, you have to at the same time be vulnerable enough to share that with anybody and everybody because you cannot do it alone. And I think that was probably one of the the biggest things I've learned and especially in this last year. Um, this is not a project to be done by yourself. Mm. And I think um, I think notoriously entrepreneurs are kind of known of being that solo independent, but I think in healthcare, I don't, I don't really think that's possible. I think the whole goal to healthcare is integrative, is collaborative. You know, you said like, I want to take my patient and I want to treat them and I'm going to do my rehab because it's the best. But guess what? that person has so many people they're connected to. Mm -hmm. So it's a very fine balance between business and entrepreneurship and healthcare and people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a definitely a struggle. I'm sure I'm not the only one that, that um, faces that, but anybody that's wanting to get into the field of healthcare, I don't care what setting you're in, that's something you should learn very quickly mm -hmm. is use your resources use the people around you ask mm -hmm. questions don't assume you know everything because the more you learn the more you'll realize you don't know anything yeah and you need and you yep. need help with that so. yeah it's it's so funny that you talk about it because I, I love shark tank shark tank's one of my favorite tv shows because like honestly my my one day i mean again inside american tree i want to be an entrepreneur i want to have my own thing that is like something like i've designed I know I'm not there yet. I have so much more to learn, so much more to go before I can even have that bravery to take a step into that kind of darkness. But I think you, you really- Time out, pause. You already are. You, you already are. And I think that's something that's really important to recognize because yeah. you started a podcast. Even yeah. if five people listen to this, that's five people that have listened to something you said. Yeah. So. Thank you. I, pr I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> again, I, I think maybe this, that kind of is like, I've gotten to the point, like, all right, I'm tired of waiting. But I think yeah. one thing that like, you look at why people go to like Shark Tank for that kind of thing, like you have some of the world's greatest entrepreneurs and business owners, and they're asking for their help. They're not asking for the money. The ones that get the true investments and have the best business plans and have the best, most successful outcomes are the ones that are not out there asking for that 1 million so they can give up. 15% of their company when they end up sometimes even getting up 40% of their company there that 40% of the company doesn't mean anything because what it means is they have a clear vision and values that they're trying to gr grow and breed out there. And they understand like, Hey, I've reached the end of my capacities. Hey, Mark, what do you know? Um, hey, Laura, what do you know? Hey, Damon, what do you know? Like, what can I, what do you have to offer to me so I can continue to grow this, um, business of mine that I have so much passion behind and that right there again you get to the point you learn so much and you realize it's not entrepreneurship isn't an individual task it's a team oriented approach and I think again that's where healthcare really could strive in some entrepreneurship opportunities mm -hmm. at least those who are investing into the this new realm of healthcare and that's collaborative practice mm -hmm. in a professional practice uh integrative healthcare and and um uh, things along those lines. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, it can't be done alone because 
there's too many, there's too many people. I think even if you look at some of the issues that secondary high school athletic trainers have, I mean, sometimes you have a ratio of 500 student athletes to one athletic trainer. Like, yeah, that was my last scenario. I had almost 600 student athletes and there was one of me. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, it's just, it's just physically impossible. There's some can't. that do, there are some that do very well in that situation. They've got, they've got, but at the end of the day, I think if you look at it, that's not something everybody can realistically do uh, because then again, you have to also think dig deep. What is that one person maybe missing uh, that could really elevate something uh, to enhance their practice. So I think that's a really good point. So, but with that, like there is so much to do in um, everything. I think we kind of hit on it, but I'm curious to see where your ends are. But where does somebody start? Like somebody wants yeah. to start their own thing. Like where should they start? Um, do something, whatever it is, make a name, uh, make a website. I mean, even smaller than that, like I, you, there are so many things to do. I don't, there is no starting point. You just go when you have an idea, you go with it and you keep going with it. And if, it's it's going to change period like there's mm-hmm. you think you have this wonderful path like oh in mm-hmm. my mind it's going to be just like this but that <clears throat> blueprint so to speak you have to think mm-hmm. of it like it's always changing it's always dynamic and you might have this these specific tools and values that you want to integrate but they're going to shift and change around and you have to be okay with that mm-hmm. but if you have an idea of anything whether it's a business or I want to run a 5k. It doesn't matter, but what do you do? If you want to start running a 5k, you start walking, you start moving, mm-hmm. take one step, go, go, go. And you just keep going. And when things get hard, because they will, you keep going. And if you finally hit a barrier, that's too much and you're not able to get over it, you find a way around it. You find mm-hmm. a different, um, kind of a different Avenue in that way. But there's a lot to be done when starting a business. And I, I feel, sometimes I feel kind of like a fake because I really have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I know. I have no clue what I'm doing uh, 90% of the time. But um, at the same time, I know that I continue to stick to the values that I know and what mm-hmm. I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess if you're going to pick one thing, make sure that your vision and your mission are, are stable and stagnant. And those are going to mm-hmm. change and shift a little bit too. Mm-hmm. But I think if you have a good idea in your head of what you want, what your goals are, then you can move forward and, mm-hmm. and everything you do is going to be oriented around mm-hmm. that because it's ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. mission and vision are things that are ingrained in what you're doing and who you are. So um, all the steps you're doing to create a business around that is, is mm-hmm. going to be founded on something really amazing. Yeah. No, I think, I think you, it's, you said exactly what, what I knew you were going to say, because you already said it, like with the whole starting a podcast or starting a website or starting a business, you're right. You just do have to start. And I don't think I've hit that barrier of a struggle yet because I've been very lucky with a lot of my cold calls. Like, Hey, would you be interested in this? Would you be interested in talking about your story? Mm, I had a lot of success with that, but I know eventually I'm going to run out of that. No, I don't really want to do that. And so I'll be interested to see where I start or how that transitions. Yeah, I think I can even pull from another conversation I had like that um, I had with Jess Falva who's my sister's athletic trainer. She said, you've got to start small. Like if you start too big, you're going to get overwhelmed and it's not going to be successful. Like she's doing a mentor program at my sister's high school for um, athletic training and medical 
professional. She's not doing this because she wants these kids to go and be an athletic trainers. She wants to provide them an opportunity that if they want to be an athletic trainer, hey, this is going to be helpful. If you want to be another healthcare professional, this is also going to be helpful. But you want to be a professional, this is also helpful because you got to learn how to act like a professional. And yeah. I think that's something that's like, as an at an inner city school is really huge and dynamic. And I think she's going to have such a great impact with that. And it's that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah, it, it really is. Like for me, like thinking about it and talking about it more, like how great of an opportunity that really is. Like it, it's exactly what it is. And I think where you say like, you, you don't know what you're doing. I look at you like you're, you would be my go-to person. Like as I, as I continue to grow in something, yeah. it's like, as I do, determined to call this a business in a way maybe one day like I know you're probably one of the first people I'm going to call because I'm going to be like hey Sadie I know you probably had this issue how did you overcome it yeah and comes back together collaborative and integrative because I was just going to say that I mean yeah. it's it's crazy how much it just interchanges and I think that's what's so exciting about venturing into private practice um into athletic training and the last thing I want to talk about too is like how things have changed like you said, you, you started in underserved youth athletic wrestling uh, and some other underserved populations, but now you've transitioned to, all right, now how, how do I collaboratively empower everybody, anybody who's physically active, and how do I begin to practice at the top of my game and the top of my scope of practice? And um, with that, uh, I think you've seen that change. What has helped you accept that change because I think change nobody like nobody likes change I, I don't care I don't care who you are nobody likes change because it's different I mean you, you see it every day um, you change the speed limit oh that's too fast um, you change some kind of tax law no the rich are getting richer poor are getting poorer or the weather exactly the weather changes and people are like oh these weathermen they get paid to make all these errors so like for you like what has helped you accept that change from what your initial goals and values and mission was to what it has now become to um yeah i want to say that that those shifts are easy they're not it's it's um it can feel really defeating when you you have an idea and you think you're on a roll and then um, shit hits the fan and you go, oh, okay, uh, I guess we have to change gears a little bit. Um, it's, it can be a really rocky road. Um, but honestly, I think through any, through any change, like if you're going through something in your life, that's a big change or with work or our healthcare system or the weather, I think, um, <laughs> seriously, yeah. I think a big part of that is, um, self-reflection and going, mm -hmm. um, how much can I control? Like what, what can I control about this scenario? So it's pouring outside and I'm irritated because I had something planned to go outside. What can I control about it? Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely can't control the weather because you can't stop it raining. So what can you do? You can control your action. Um, mm -hmm. and I think a big part of that is, um, I like this, this concept of our bird brain, our lizard brain is kind of, uh, it's reactive. You know, mm -hmm. we have these instincts and I think often our emotions are surrounded around those instincts, mm -hmm. but our mammal brain is the brain that actually has cognition and awareness and all those things. And it is a practice. It's a practice of initiating that, that um, mammal brain and getting away from that instinctual brain and mm -hmm. focusing on things that you can have power over. Mm -hmm. So when it's raining outside, instead of saying my whole day is ruined, it's training yourself to 
find the ways that you can still find value in the fact that it's raining outside. Maybe mm -hmm. now I get to stay inside and hang out with my dog, or maybe I get to spend time talking to somebody that I wouldn't have otherwise talked to. And I mm -hmm. think that same concept applies to all pieces of life, but especially mm -hmm. in um, starting something that you had an idea with, mm -hmm. things change and there's a lot of factors that are completely out of your control. And I think if you continue to go back to what is in your control and you continue to go back to the values and the, the mission behind what you're doing, you're gonna find ways to make that successful. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to find those small successes as big ones. Like people don't climb Mount Everest in a day. It doesn't work like that. There's, there's training and there's steps they have to take. And um, I think it's really important to be able to see those things, even when it feels like a tornado spinning around you. Mm -hmm. Not easy. Again, it's a practice. Trust me. I have my days of feeling extremely overwhelmed and stressed and, mm -hmm. but it's a practice. And I think mm -hmm. that's probably what makes the most successful people. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, that's really great insight. I think you said that last part, I think you, it's practice, you know what I mean? It's not like, it's not perfection. It's not private perfection. It's private practice. It's clinical practice because at the end of the day, things change. Like we said, nobody likes that change. It's about how you adapt and, and uh, overcome those changes. And that's how you build resilience. It's how you build grit. Uh, I, I'd like to really call it. And I think you make a really good point change is inevitable yeah. and in a way to do that you have to self-reflect how, how are you re how do you respond to that change um because the way you respond is the way it's going to dictate your future um if you respond by like oh f this f that you have this very negative connotation to the rain every time it rains you're going to build that like kind of pavlov's dog's reaction it's going to rain you're going to get angry or it, yeah. it could it could change into all right hey i've had change it started to rain how do I take advantage of this? Like you said, um, and I think being an opportunist uh, is a really big way. Like, at least how I interpret it and, yeah. uh, with this is you got to take those opportunities as they come. Um, because I think as we talk about realistic expectations, um, we have to have that sense of realistic expectations and what you control can, can and cannot control because then eventually you may be able to control that if you respond in the right way yeah. uh, for where that's going. Um, so, but with that and, and with changes going, what, what changes do you see coming in maybe private practice and athletic training as a whole, or maybe yourself uh, in the Valka Clinic? Hmm. Um, I see a lot of great changes on the horizon. Um, I think if we're, if we're talking about athletic training specifically, the sheer fact that we're shifting um, from uh, bachelor's level to something a little bit um, a little bit higher i think we're in a really good spot in that which extent. which but, by the way i think that's another i think if we go back real quick and, and cycle that into the change that nobody likes uh, the amount of complaining i think that you see a lot and i think i hope somebody's listening to this um is, is a person who is against masters in athletic training because i want them to know that it is a great change and it's something that needs to happen and it's beautiful and it just from my experience with the student that i'm working with i think the level of knowledge that, they, that they're going to end up bringing and their and their ability to be one of the athletic trainers is going to be more genuine and more valuable and they're going to produce phenomenal work so again with that would change accept it because it's going to happen and move yeah. forward and i think that's the, the first example of i think of an experience that somebody needs to learn from uh when we go forward 
but yeah. the hop off that soapbox go ahead <laughs> yeah no I, I totally agree I think it, it is an amazing change and it is going to be hard like mm. I think I don't really even think we understand yet how difficult that shift is going to be and what those programs are really going to look like and what type of clinician they're going to produce um but I think that being being in a position in you two where we're students and we're working um, on our doctorate and we're seeing the people that are paving that way for us, I think they're doing a damn good job. Mm -hmm. And um, arguably the best job that we can do right now with with what we're given. So I'm excited to see the shifts um, in our profession in that sense. But um, a shift I, I see in healthcare in general, um, I really, I imagine in five to 10 years, we're gonna have a lot more um, telemedicine involvement than we do now. Mm -hmm. There was a there was a practicing um, surgical office um, near I'm in West Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, so this is this is um, a clinic in in Michigan. It was a foot and ankle surgeon and they actually discontinued their practice. They're like brick and mortar building. They discontinued it. They kept all their employees but everybody worked remotely out of different hospital systems around the area. So the surgeons were privileged at different locations. So they don't have a location anymore. Everything is telemedicine and, or you go to a remote location. And I was blown away by, by that. Um, but at the same time, I think that's exactly where we're going. I think mm -hmm. things are going to be a little bit more oriented around our technology, um, which I think is again, a change that we're going to have to adapt to because there is something to be said about actually being physically with somebody. So I think it's going to be a very fine tuned balance of um, communication through technology while also providing that hands-on approach that we need as human beings, because we're still physical creatures. We can't live in a technology bubble. It doesn't work like that. So I think it's going to be, I anticipate that being a really big change in the future too. Mm -hmm. Now, with that change, what, what is something that I think people should be aware of with what is telemedicine? How is that going to change healthcare? And why is that going to be something that's good? I know it's kind of a broad question, but like, yeah. what, what has happened that has made you see that that's something that's going to have to happen and that's going to be beneficial towards healthcare? Because I think some people may say, how is somebody in China going to help me here in Michigan or here in Pittsburgh? Um, because they're not here with me to be hands-on because I, I think me I've had my experiences with telemedicine and I'm not I'm not as convinced that we're that close but I'm curious mm -hmm. to hear like what what has happened recently that you see it happening that soon um I think the biggest thing is or one one of I mean there's a million things we could talk about telemedicine mm -hmm. is kind of a rabbit hole but if we talk mm -hmm. about um let's say for example patients um, having difficulty getting to appointments. Mm -hmm. We'll just, we'll use transportation as an example. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of costs associated with that. There's, um, you can name a laundry list of, of issues with getting to appointments or um, having the accessibility to actually see the, the type of practitioner that you need to see. Um, telemedicine is one way you could be at home and communicate with your provider on directions of where to go and you're mm -hmm. avoiding costs of getting there you're saving time you're i mean again we could talk about the benefits of um of having a situation like that where it's a quick accessible resource um to patients 
I'm sure there's negatives with it too. Like mm -hmm. I said, if you're missing that one-on-one -on -one human contact, that's a piece that we have to consider. Mm -hmm. um, and same, same goes um, with, with my business. I'm shifting to more of a telemedicine approach of more hmm. care guidance um, and care navigation. But am I really seeing the full picture of the patient? And how do I create a standardized assessment if you will, of somebody where I'm not touching them. Because when we first started as athletic trainers, that's what you do. Your evaluation is conversation, but then you're observing them, you're testing them, you're doing all of these things. So I right now am fine tuning my standardized um, approach to seeing a client um, or guiding a client uh, without having hands on them. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's gonna be so many barriers even with that. So again, it's one of my genius ideas, but at mm -hmm. the same time, it's, it's quite flawed, of course. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. Cause like now I even <laughs> think about it a little bit more and kind of hear where you're coming from and the big concept I get from is like, I mean, those who don't have access to that healthcare, like I think even like an underserved population, like kind of where you started, which is interesting how I could, or at least where I'm making that connection for you, um, is that it's going to give those who are underserved maybe another avenue to become served. Because if you think about it, the healthcare literacy in America is poor. I know where I'm at, the healthcare liter literacy is uh, not as well. Um, I think there was like a stat, like when I was doing that project, like 80% of the people over the age of 18 haven't seen a physician because they maybe don't have insurance or don't have that access. So, I mean, again, that's physician practice, but I think as athletic trainers too, um, you never know, a recreational athlete, that they don't have an athletic trainer on site. Hey, Valker Clinic, um, um, hey, can you help me? I got hurt at this recreational thing and i think right. you create this avenue like you can really digest like hey hey like it looks like an ankle sprain from what you're telling me nothing looks broken uh from physical value because we could use like an auto ankle rules over telecommunication can you take three steps hey touch that lateral malleolus that outside bone touch that inside bone can you take so many steps um and then like hey or hey then again, I think now I think about it even a bit more like, all right, hey, you actually need a physical evaluation. You need to make that proper referral to an emergency room because they were to fail an auto ankle bowl assessment. So I but think even that's in, good. Even in that, in that scenario, if you have somebody who's been integrated as a provider in those mm -hmm. initial steps, how much better is that patient going to be if they're actually managing their range of motion? They know it's okay to walk on it. It's mm -hmm. okay to move it. It's good to move it. You should be stretching. You should be um, getting that blood flowing, you should be controlling the inflammation to this degree or whatever the case. But mm -hmm. um, I think often people don't know that. And so they wait a week and they don't walk on it or they're hobbling around. And then they end up going kind of down that path of, of higher risk of osteoarthritis in the future um, mm -hmm. if it's not managed the right way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even those initial steps, I, I totally agree. I think that's an amazing place for athletic trainers and kind of going full circle into what we talked about at the beginning. Um, I think we, as, as a profession need to start really honing in on what our, our niche is mm -hmm. because right now we are totally an athletic based model. We started, mm -hmm. I say this all the time. We started with band-aids and water bottles on the sidelines and now we've transitioned to this amazing, unique and, um, really dynamic healthcare provider we don't know where to fit we don't know mm -hmm. what we don't know where to go with that because if we're in a physical therapy clinic we're acting as a physical therapist 
if we're in a high school we're well physical therapy aid we don't want to confuse that but yeah because I, I i get that a lot with the physical therapy side of things because yes. I've, I've been asked, oh are you a physical therapist no i'm an athletic no. trainer right yeah so that's 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 an interesting point right. with that too but your your scope of practice in mm -hmm. that sense is very very much on the same line yeah especially yeah. in orthopedics yeah, speaking, yeah. yeah physical therapy has a lot of different realms but mm -hmm. specific to um orthopedics um i think you're you kind of mold into that that profession a little bit differently same mm -hmm. with um clinical athletic trainers like physician ex extender types i know we're not really using that mm -hmm. phrase much anymore but um yeah, what do they call that yeah. uh, athletic training and position practice is that what it is now or something along those lines okay yes. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um but when you're in that setting you kind of adapt that role so I think that's what's been hard for people to understand what athletic trainers do because we don't really understand it. We are so dynamic and, you know, we're like, yeah, we can do that. We can do this. We can do that. We can. And we can, and we, mm -hmm. you know, we, we are adaptable in that way, but mm -hmm. I think we need to understand, like, I think we need to hone in a little bit more on what we can really provide, mm -hmm. um, provide the world, I guess, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you definitely you kind of become the jack of too many trades, and now because I, I know I've kind of had that little bit of a bump in the road where like, hey, de like I've I've like I'm young, but like I'm developing a really good relationship. Like, hey, can you really help me with this rehab program because I have this going on? But when in reality, I have like four game or three games at four or five different sites going on, and it's like I can't really spend that time right now with rehabilitation. Yeah. And yeah. that comes back to that collaborative practice. Like, hey, I think this is where physical therapy kind of steps totally. in and plays a bigger role and mm -hmm. and in all that. And again, I think we have to remind ourselves too, coming down back to the Simon Sinek um, thing, start with why. Why why are you doing this? And then that way, then you'll find the answer of how you're going to do it and, yeah. why you're, and what you're going to do. Because like he said, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Yeah, and I think again with your Valker Clinic, people are going to start to buy into that because genuinely you have you have those values and morals set around empowering the patient to make the best medical decision in their from their aspect. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so with that, um, I, th I think that is a really good spot where that where this conversation has gone. And for any athletic trainer out there <clears throat> looking to start their private practice, I think. Like we talked about, you just got to start, uh, align your values and your expectations um, where it is. Uh, there's going to be some change. You have to be adaptable to it, reflect on it. How are, how are you accepting that change? Uh, and then some changes that we are going to see here in the Velker Clinic and then also in athletic training. Telemedicine's out there, everyone. Um, take some advantages of it. If you're struggling to find somebody, reach out to the Valker Clinic. I'm sure Sadie would love to talk to you and hear more about you to see how she can maybe help you with your healthcare decisions. Um, but if not, there are people out there already using this. Um, so reach out and find somebody. So with that, um, thanks everybody for listening. Hope you've gotten out of this as much as I have and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, Sadie. Oh,